Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today I am very pleased to introduce to you a very dear friend of mine, Suzanne Sena. Suzanne is a true expert of communication, having spent a lifetime as a broadcaster and a decade as one of the country's most in-demand media trainers. Her vast on-camera career spans 30 years and includes hosting national talk shows, anchoring national and international news, and hosting unscripted live televised events. Her company, Sena Series Media Training, provides on-camera training for key executives, C-suiters and television personalities for companies including AEG Worldwide, Atlantic Coast Brands, Deloitte and Touche, FabFitFun, Google, YouTube, LA Kings, Lionsgate Television Group, MTV, NBC Universal, Pop TV, and many more. Suzanne's training methods go beyond basic on-camera skills, providing tangible tools and the mindset of confidence, resulting in improved communication, increased productivity, and bottom-line results. The Emmy-nominated Suzanne Sena started her national TV career at E! Entertainment Television as an entertainment reporter, hosting live coverage of awards shows, premieres, and interviewing Hollywood's elite. She was nominated for an Emmy as the host of the network's Celebrity Homes show and continued her television journey on Extra, co-hosting with television legend Regis Philbin on Live with Regis anchoring for CBS, and eventually landing on the national news desk for the Fox News Channel. In addition to her media training and presentation skills services, Suzanne is an in-demand speaker and creator and host of the podcast, The Confidence Connection, Building Trust in a Virtual World. And I met Suzanne a couple of years ago. I was introduced to her by a mutual friend. And Suzanne has actually worked with some of my clients, and I've seen tremendous results in her ability to help take somebody who doesn't necessarily feel confident, especially in front of a television camera, and really very quickly help transform their performance, if you will, really, into something that is solid and credible and giving the author an opportunity to really make sure they get their message across. And this is why I've invited Suzanne on today is to help you gain a greater understanding of it's not just about getting the media booking, it's about how you convey your message once you're there. And there are a lot of things that you're going to hear today about common mistakes to avoid and just as importantly, if not more importantly, very quick minor changes you can make that will make all the difference in how you are perceived and how powerfully you are able to transmit your message to the audience, the media audience. 
So I am so confident you're going to get tons of value in our interview today. So enjoy and yes, just enjoy. Great. So Suzanne, welcome to the Author's Corner. Well, I'm so excited to be here and share some tips with your listeners today. Oh, thrilled to have you because, you know, we've had a couple of PR experts on talking about getting PR. We've had the head of PR for a traditional publishing house talk about the relationship between the PR department and the author. But what we haven't talked about, and I know that you are the person to ask about this, is what do you do when you get the book in? right? Because a lot of authors might not have experience being interviewed, especially for television, which I know is something that you know a lot about. So, and of course, I have like a gazillion questions I want to ask. I'm going to try to pace myself here. (laughs) And let's start by talking a little bit about what is the author's experience that you notice? Like, why do people come to you in the first place? What happened right before they came to you that made them say, I need help? Well, sometimes a disaster of an appearance (laughs) can send them my way. To be quite honest, I get a lot of my clients from publicists who are trying to do their best to get their clients these bookings, and they've heard of me or they've worked with me, and they know the difference that I can make, or media training in general, but especially me, because I've worked with so many authors, I tend to know the biggest mistakes they make. I understand a lot of the personalities. You know, not everybody who writes a book is meant to have a career on television. And that means they don't understand right. how to relate to the audience and how to be effective at promoting the book. There's a difference between just talking about your book and knowing how to get that book to sell. That's persuasive speech, which can be taught. That's in how you handle yourself. It's speaking in sound bites. And the biggest mistake authors make, Robin, is thinking because they wrote the book and are an expert on their topic, that they'll be able to ace the interview. (laughs) Yes. And let's have you talk about some of the common mistakes, because I know my imagination is already thinking of a few that I would guess would be on your list. But I'd like to hear from you. What would you say are a couple of the more common mistakes that authors make when they're doing these media interviews? Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes is, again, it's all in, in not preparing or being prepared, but one of the biggest mistakes is letting the interviewer control the narrative and just lead. If you aren't familiar with what it's like to be out there trying to promote your book in the media, it makes sense. You think they'll ask you a question, you'll answer. They ask you a question, you answer. But when you do that, A, somebody who's watching thinks that you're trying to sell something, which you are, and so there's a little less trust. But also, nine times out of 10, the interviewer goes in a direction that you did not want to go. And then you feel sort of lost. So it's important, I think, for an author to know the main points that they want to be covering and also how to get the conversation back to where they want it to go. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, Suzanne, because I know you worked with a client of mine and I've watched his evolution and it is really extraordinary to see him now when he's interviewed on national news shows and to watch these interviewers pitch him a question that really is designed to lead him into a trap and watch him just maneuver his way out of it without even seeming, with really also answering the question that actually they should have asked, right? (laughs) In a way, instead of the one, like if they're asking a question that's trying to politicize 
the information and he's answering in a way that's just really giving the facts, you know, yeah. would be a good example. I do a lot of uh, crisis management in media training with people who find themselves in a little bit of a scandal. And so when I do that, the same concept can be applied, which is basically, if you don't like what people are saying, you change the conversation. Too often, um, people just, again, a little bit robotic, feel like the person asked me this question, I must answer that question. Well, you can acknowledge the question and then take it in a different direction. We see politicians do this all the time. So there are techniques to it. And Robin, one of the things that I really like so much, and I appreciate what you said about seeing the evolution, because I promise anybody who does any media training with me at all, always 100% sees an improvement after our first session. Because some of these things are not brain surgery. I like to say my specialty is small adjustments that make a big difference. Mm. And one yes. of the examples, and you may have seen your client do this too, after working with me is that typically, and I did this in the beginning, I did it on purpose to show you and demonstrate. Oftentimes when an interviewer introduces somebody, they say, here we have so-and-so, so glad to have you here today. Thanks for being with us. The author, the interviewee always responds, thanks, it's great to be here. And they lose an opportunity right there to get their message across. So when you just introduced me, my first thing I said was, thanks, Robin. I'm excited to have some tips today for your audience. At least there's something you can say immediately. But we're so programmed to just answer what's asked and not offer our own. When you do take control a little bit, it makes you have a sense of authority. And it also ends up being a little more of a conversation which is perceived by the audience as more credible, familiar. And boy, if that person is trusting you, then I trust you, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's so true. And I know I've witnessed all of this, so I really know that everything you're saying is accurate. So what's another mistake that you see authors make that there's like a simple adjustment for? Well, one thing is an author should always be sure to read whatever the publicist is sending out ahead of time. So I've worked with an author who, when always preparing, I always ask the publicist, please send me the press releases you've written. How are you pitching this person? And I was doing um, a half-day session with somebody. And as a journalist, as a former journalist and anchor, I did what I would normally do. I read all the material sent to me, and I picked out questions based on that. In this press kit, it said, in this book, you'll learn these four tips for such and such. So I asked in our mock interview, tell me about the four tips for this and that. And they went, huh? What? And I said, well, <laughs> it's right here. You need to know how you are being presented and what the angle is. So that's a mistake, not reading those things. Yeah. yeah. And then also yeah. understanding that less is best and sound bites are essential. Only the meat, the things people will resonate with them, the things that will stand out. A lot of my authors in the medical space, in the food space, they tend to get into the science of things and not very, you know, audience friendly terms. And a way to get around that is to lead with what I would call that impact statement and then fill it in with backing it up if you need to, but always start with the soundbite. And I do help people create soundbites. Some people don't even know what that looks like. So, right. And you know, it's so interesting because way back in the early 2000s, when we didn't have podcasting yet, we had internet radio, mm. right? I had a show. Now, if I had just kept this up, I would own the internet, apparently. I, I, but, 
<laughs> I know. But it took a lot of time and it didn't fill the coffers at all. So I had to let it go for a while. But it was a show for authors and I had authors on. And something that I saw over and over again is I would say, so tell us a little bit about what your book is about. And they would inhale and it seemed like they talked a monologue about what their book was about for 30 minutes mm -hmm. and before I could even detect them pausing to inhale again. Mm -hmm. And I never got a chance to ask a follow-up question. That's awesome. So do you see that a lot with, right? Yeah, yeah and I see in the, the initial, <laughs> I think the instinct for people who aren't trained in this is that, yeah, well, you asked what it's about. Let me tell you about the 12 chapters, you know, as opposed to knowing ahead of time, what are the three points you want to get across? And I think that's important. And also, it's funny because another thing I do is I train people to work on home shopping channels. And it's important because all of these oh. principles apply no matter what, right? So people don't buy because of a feature. They buy because of a benefit. So if I say, let's just say, for instance, I can help you with better time management, that is going to be a feature of the book. The benefit is you're going to have more time with your kids. So we need to work on that. Right. What is your book about? Yeah. But how is that book going to benefit the reader? And that's something people don't mm -hmm. think about. Again, and why should they? They wrote, they know what's in the book, but knowing what to highlight to get the book talked about, to get the book featured again, to come back as a recurring guest, those are the things I teach. Yeah, that's also a, an interesting point. Like, I imagine there's some little hacks, if you will, or strategies you can use to get yourself invited back. You must be teaching that because the client we both have in mind gets invited back quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's interesting too. You know, Robin, I don't know. I can't remember if the video that we're doing right now is going to be seen by your viewers, but if they are watching or if they could see, I want to say, you know, you're an expert at this. You have a performance background. You understand. You look so engaged right now. And that's another mistake that the authors tend to make is that they sit there very stoically till they're asked a question. You're nodding. I feel like we're having a great conversation and that does help. So here's a little hack for you. If somebody is going to appear on a show, who are you being interviewed by? Look that person up. Ask if you don't know. Ask who the host is. Look at their previous interviews to say something like, well, I noticed, Robin, that last week your guest was so-and-so and blah, blah. Ooh, now you think I'm super interested in you. If I say, hey, Robin, I know you love going to New York. Oh, oh, wait, so do I. We're looking for commonalities. So those things are about being able to create a chemistry and to identify the commonalities. Those things definitely give you an advantage. And Robin, it all comes down to what I think is the simple but magic spell in how we create a repeat guests, how we get our audiences to love us. And that is this, you must be likable and relatable. Now you can be super smart mm -hmm. and you can be an expert, but if you're not likable and I can't relate to you in some way, I don't necessarily trust you. And trust is everything. So if I have a medical expert who says you have to eat green beans, the end is going to change your life. You're going to feel healthier. Okay. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to be honest, I was feeling really horrible last week and I ate some of these green beans and I don't know what happened to me. I just ran around cleaning like a mad fool and was so productive. And then I'm more <laughs> because somebody is listening, you know, it's a story. Right. And I know you've done features with the art of story yep. before. I can't stress enough that revealing yourself and sharing your examples with personal stories 
help drastically increase that likability factor, relatability factor, trust factor. Yeah. And as you were talking, I was thinking of something else that I think is must be a factor is if you're on a show, you know, usually there's a host who's there all the time mm-hmm. and the audience is already bonded with the host, right? Smart. They like the host. They don't know you. So if you can form a nice connection with the host and have a good rapport, then it's going to make the audience pay more attention to you as well. You are 100% correct, Robin. And one of the things I was going to add and let your audience know, again, a simple tip that does what you said, which shows that you have bonded with your interviewer, even if you haven't yet, is to use the interviewer. (laughs) People don't do that. You know, they'll never, and I try, it's such a simple thing. So if somebody named Karen is talking to you and you say, you know, Karen, I remember a time, all of a sudden the audience is like, they know each other. They're friends. And the thing you can do that really changes the tone. Also, the interviewer likes to hear their name. You know, they feel respected. Everyone does. Everyone does. Everyone does, Suzanne. Everyone does, Bob. And guess what else everyone does? Everyone loves to talk about themselves. They really do. Especially, Especially a TV host or any kind of host. They do it for a reason. So here's another thing. Just in the way I say about using their name, just because you're being interviewed doesn't mean you can't ask a question, right? So a lot of people don't. Again, it goes question, answer, question, answer. But as an example, I was working with a director who put together a film. It was a great independent film, and it was about the crash of the auto industry and what happened with the auto industry. And he was pretty dry. It was not overly exciting. And I said, how about early on, you ask somebody who's interviewing you, uh, Robin, what was your first car? Do you remember your first car? And then all of a sudden, the person, oh, everyone has a wonderful memory of their first car. And it changes the tone. It, it, it deflects a little bit. So as the person being interviewed, you're not as nervous. And it really does add some life. And this makes it more interesting as a conversation. So I call that turning the tables. Just because you are the interviewee and someone else is the interviewer doesn't mean you can't be the interviewer once in a while. And it works much better that way. And and you know what I love about that too is it's going to really pique the interest of the audience because now they're learning something about the host who they're already probably more curious about than the author, right? (laughs) Again, I mean, you were so right on about that because that goes back to they already like that person. And when they learn something yeah. new, that's really cool. You know so much about this. <laughs> well, because I think it is so interesting because it's just bringing me back to, I think, something I told my children a long time ago is when you go to a cocktail party or a dinner party or something like that, and you want to make a good impression, just say as little about yourself as you possibly can and be really, really interested in everyone else. And they'll all think you're the best conversationalist they've ever met. <laughs> use that example, Robin. I use that example and I have used it again and again because it is proven that if you ask them what a question, they talk for 30 minutes and walk away. They'll go, gosh, she was really easy to talk to. She's a great conversation. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's all psychological. And so, so you can bring that. Obviously, yeah. you need to do some of the talking because you're promoting yeah. your book. Yeah. But bringing that kind of a mindset to it really can help and I think also, like you said, talk a little bit about that, like taking some of the pressure off, right, by not just talking at the host, but engaging with the host. 
Well, honestly, once you're prepared, you've got your bullet points, you know the areas you want to go to, and you know what your story is. You know what the beginning is going to be, no matter what happens with the host, the middle you're going to get to, no matter what happens with the host, and how you want to wrap up, start strong and finish strong. Another one of my little mantras, really just start to have fun. But here's the thing, like I, this is what I started to say, which is just be present. If you're listening and you know kind of where you want to go to, if you're just listening and having an honest conversation that's going to work the best. The engaging conversation with the host is going to be perceived well by the audience listening or watching. That goes back to personality. And let's go to the simplest of all things we can do that everybody thinks they do that they don't do. Smile. People feel weird <laughs> smiling when they talk. Yeah. And some of us, you and I, are sitting here like Cheshire cats. We're like, <laughs> but that's our personality. I, but but it's, it's, I smile just the whole time I'm around you because oh, I just enjoy you so much. I feel, <laughs> I feel the same way. But you know, again, I have a female attorney who's written a book. Oh, I say this with females because it's especially uh, prevalent with female professionals. A female physician, they have worked hard to show that they're smart. And they don't want to be perceived as silly and they don't want to laugh and they have this image. And I always say, see, we know you're smart because A, you've got a published book. B, you got that degree and the whole MD after your name. We don't know you're nice. We don't know you're likable. And I always want people to see themselves because what some people think is a big old silly grin isn't even a noticeable smile. You have to practice. And if you're a person who feels silly smiling when you're talking, I say, then don't think about smiling. Find something about the person that you either are amused by or interested, or if you even feel a little snarky about. What what happens is you start getting that look in your eye, and I'm not thinking about smiling, but right now I'm going, that is a pretty scarf you're wearing. I'm thinking about that. (laughs) Um, You know, stuff like that. (laughs) Right, right. Just is perceived as, again, likable. likable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and TV is, it picks up everything, right? Yeah, because yeah. you've got a tight shot, you know, it's not even like being on a stage. So it really does pick up facial also, expressions. And- it's also important, just appearance overall, you know, there is a method to our madness when we are putting ourselves together for on-camera wardrobe. And again, you're a professional author. You're thinking that doesn't matter. What matters is my book cover and the thing is, is that, it does, and you're not going to want to wear the same thing for a morning show audience as you wear for, say, a business show audience. You're trying to be liked and feel relatable to the audience. So it's important to think about these things. No surprise to me, you're wearing Book It Blue. I always call it Book It Blue. Blue is the most comfortable color that people like to see, and it's also a color that just, it looks good on everybody, any shade of blue. There are certain colors that are better than others. If you've done research and you know what the set looks like and you're sitting on a white couch with a neutral background, don't wear a white outfit. You're going to blend in. You want to, right? But these things people don't think about. And those are some of the simple things that you can do. And Robin, there's psychology. There's a whole science to color psychology. I am not the psychologist with color, but I do know some things and certain colors will project certain things. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Yeah. I actually have a colleague who- I'm having a blast. (laughs) Yeah, this is so much fun. I know. I know we got to hang out together in New York a couple of years ago. (laughs) Yeah, we need to do that again. 
We totally do. <laughs> we totally do. All right. So let's see. What else have we not covered yet that you want our listeners to know that I haven't asked you that I should have? I want to know. You're fine. Um, we could talk about a million different things uh, in the interest of time and attention span by people. I did want to touch again on the persuasive language because that's something that people don't think about. That's again goes back to how do I get the books sold? So one of the tips I mentioned was about talking about the benefits in addition to the features, right? You could tell me all day long what the chapter titles cover, but if you tell me why and how that's going to affect me and benefit me, that's more powerfully persuasive. So there are, again, proven studies as to certain words that are persuasive. And these studies have been conducted by, no surprise, advertisers. If we're advertising, we're selling, and we've got 30 seconds to be persuasive, what word matters more? And here's a really simple example of that. Some people will say something like, what you're going to find when you put this into action is this. But a better word than find, for some reason, people love it, discover. Discovery is awesome. Mm -hmm. To discover something is to be the first to know it. To discover has a sense of all these wonderful things that the word find just does not. So there yeah. are actually several right. of these words and just getting used to learning those can make a difference in the persuasiveness and effectiveness of your sales when you are selling a book. All right. Give me another one. Now I'm really curious. What's another, another word, word that makes me buy word? the book? Yeah. Or that makes me love. Love is a very powerful word. Guarantee is a powerful word. Mm -hmm. and once you start to hear these, it's going to make sense why some commercials will say, when you discover the changes that you'll have in your life, you're going to love the difference it makes. Guaranteed. <laughs> you know, these are... <laughs> oh my God. That's like, just insert brand name. That's like the ad copy for every, every commercial 100%. ever. <laughs> 100%. People, yeah, people really, really respond to this. Generally, talking about a person's health, or about their family are very persuasive angles to take. People will do anything to be healthier and to take care of their kids and their family. So there are just a couple of things, but yeah, you know, hire me and I'll teach you some more. <laughs> yes. And you know, what really has amazed me is seeing just how quickly that you can cause a transformation with your clients. It's well, I think, I think the thing about that is there's one thing about just sharing the info like I'm doing now, but where that really comes into play, the progress, the quick progress is in the mock interviews. I mean, you don't want your first TV interview to be on TV. You don't want it to be live. The stakes are so high. So to work with someone who knows what's likely to be asked, to practice, to stop and hear why that answer worked, but this is a little better and by the way, I never want someone to memorize anything. I'm not trying to teach somebody what to say. I'm showing them principles that help them speak in a way that's going to work and to serve them better. The other thing is, is to record themselves. So if you don't hire anybody and you ask your spouse or child or whatever to ask you some sample questions and you put your iPhone up and record yourself, you're going to be able to play that back and see what's working and what's not. I can do it easier and quicker and show you because I know what to look for. And here's another quick example as to how something as simple as recording and playing back can help. I have a client recently, I've been coaching an author, and he's fairly dry as some authors tend to be. Not everybody. I mean, there are plenty of fun authors out there, but 
<laughs> a little bit on the dry side. And a lot of his information is also a little on the dry side because it's very medical and technical. However, there was something that was making him drag down, seeming so boring. And here's what it was. There was like a space between the question and answer that you could drive a truck through. Now, because he was being interviewed virtually, to him, it sounded normal. But because there was a delay and I knew that, I said, you've got to jump on that person's question. And he felt that might be rude. So I said, yeah, well, let's try it. (laughs) And we tried it because, you know, I know what I'm saying here and recorded it and playback. He could not believe the difference. What felt to him like he was being rude and cutting someone off actually made the timing, you know, comedic timing, Robin, like just that timing is everything. And so that made a huge difference. And that was a simple tip, small adjustment that made a huge, huge difference. So, yeah. And I think that that is so important, similar to what I was saying before, like your facial expressions are really magnified on television, right? Because you've got this tight shot, they're right on your face normally. So you have to be really aware of, you don't want to have resting bitch face. Yeah, yeah. And resting board face is also not good. Or resting board face or yeah. be doing too much fiddling with yourself or all those things that or moving uh, or moving like this. Or, or, right. You've got to be still, you gotta stay in frame. Grounded. And so yeah, and so all of these things. But when you were talking about even the timing, so a lot of these things don't feel natural. No. And they don't even look normal if you're in a conversation with someone in the room. Right. But it looks totally right on television. So it's an interesting, same thing's happening, but it's going to be perceived totally differently. And another great example of that is uh, pre-COVID, hopefully post-COVID, when we go back to standing near each other again, is when you have two people who I, because I also, you know, in addition to media training, I teach, I work with celebrities who are hired to host shows, co-hosts, I do public speaking training. And here's something when you see two hosts together, two people on camera, or in the case of an interviewer and an interviewee, your physical distance feels uncomfortable if you're too close. And that's what looks best on camera. When you stand at a comfortable distance, you don't have that same chemistry that's coming across. So it's always a little weird. I always say, hey, stand a little closer. (laughs) And it's like like anyone who's had their pictures taken, their photos done professionally, the photographer who knows what they're going for will say, turn your shoulder down, lift your face up, tilt your head. And you're like, well, that feels ridiculous. And then you see it and you're like, I look fabulous. So you've got to trust me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. So Robin, you and I should do a, yeah. uh, we could put together a little comedy routine of sorts and do something at some point based right? on some of this, where it's educational, but funny. Anyway. You totally should, because I forgot we're also both comedian. You are quite the comedian. Yeah, that's right. Tell our listeners a little bit. Are you doing comedy again? No, I'm not. Every day is hilarious. Um, you know, as you know, I have a, a strangely diverse background, and having been a real news anchor, a national news anchor, and a former actress, I actually was hired to play a news anchor in a comedic TV show called The Onion News Network. And that was a lot of fun for me, but because it was what people in the comedy community consider comedy gold, you know, the onion, everyone knows the onion. It's it's, it's sarcastic and sardonic. I had a lot of opportunities. And so I was invited to appear places and I thought, well, why don't I learn more about this comedy thing? And I studied stand up and put together a show. I had an absolute blast. 
Now I keep my humor to my own thoughts and I'm just focused so much on business. I actually pretty much stopped performing in general about five years ago as far as acting and all of that. The business has just taken off and been so great and rewarding. And I still do spokesperson work. I do television work, but the things that don't require me to be up late at night on a stage somewhere on a regular basis. So, Well, yeah, absolutely. So that brings me to another question, because I know before COVID, you used to have a studio where you would have your clients come to you Mm -hmm. if they wanted, as I recall. Is that something you're still doing or have you started doing again? Or is that off the table for now? Or how are you working with people these days? That's a great question because I struggle. If you would ask me before COVID, could you do this without a studio? I'd say absolutely not. And then like everybody else, I was forced to adapt. And I thought, well, I can do some of this over virtual, but I can't teach teleprompter until I had a client who insisted on teleprompter and I didn't want to lose the business. And I learned to do it virtually. So now I'm <laughs> a quandary in that I have this lovely studio outside LA in Sherman Oaks that I have <laughs> continued to pay rent on for the last year and a half and couldn't use because in LA, we were seriously locked down for the most of this time and have only used a handful of times and just recently started using a bit again. But because I've adapted, I'm seriously questioning whether or not to keep the studio. I think there's a little bit of ego involved, if I'm being super honest. I like the prestige of it. I love the look of it. And it is nice to have the space. And I did. It's also, I mean, it's a studio. I used to host a show for two years, a finance show. We shot once a week. We used my studio. So there is that. Although, again... I have broadcast from home. I have a green screen at home. I have lights now at home. So I don't know. I'd well, like I mean, Stephen Colbert is doing a show from home. <laughs> so I know. I know. It's crazy. And I'll tell you something else that, that's happened is that I feel very fortunate because I have so many friends whose businesses were impacted in a negative way. And for me, what it did to me is the whole world turned into broadcasters. Everybody became a broadcaster. Everyone has to know how to be in front of a camera now. And my skills translate very easily to that. If you're in the corporate world, you should just get an hour of how to look your best on Zoom, how to sound good on Zoom, what lighting can do to make a difference. People make the Mm -hmm. mistake there. I know this is not author talk, but people make the mistake there of thinking, hey, it doesn't matter what I look like. I'm not trying to be pretty. And that's not what it's about. It's about trying to be as if you're in the room. You want to be seen. I promise you, you would not be sitting above somebody in a meeting looking down. You'd be sitting eye to eye looking right at them. And so those little things are important and they make a big difference in those kinds of meetings. So pass the word along. Because yeah, or just I not being in the shadows. Right? Like a lot of people are in the shadows. You know, you Robin, can't even see their face. You know, I have been able to instantly help people drastically upgrade their Zoom or their Teams meetings in the way they come across because I can look at what they're doing now and then I can simply make some suggestions. Something as simple as I worked with somebody last week, a corporate executive. She was doing stuff from home and the way she had her setup was so odd. And I said, is there anywhere else you can go? And she said, not really. This is my desk. It's fixed. This is the only place I can have this computer. And I said, well, Kenya, she did a little angle this way and she did. And I said, well, that's hundred percent better already. Can you put a plant over there? Cause it's like set dressing. And that for me is this is all of my years of being a producer, being an actor, being a host, knowing how to make things look good. 
Robin, I am at my desk and my house is mainly windows. Now I know it's bright behind me, but if I didn't have what I call my fake studio wall up, you would not see my face. The sun would be right. out. And yeah. all, it is, all it is is a, a three-level, three-panel, I guess a two-fold, what's it called? Poster board, science board, project board that you get for kids. Oh, yeah. It's one of those, and I stick it up. My husband likes it so much, he has one now in his office, but it blocks the sun when I need it to. Yeah. So there are these little things. If you care, and you should care, mm-hmm. you should care. Because that's where the world is going. And if you're not coming across well virtually, I know. I wish I, I wonder if all this Zoom I wonder if all this Zoom will make us all better TV interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. If you practice, if you work on it, yeah, it can. <laughs> it really does though, you know, it changes the playing field. So an author who maybe is wanted to be in this city and then that city could actually be in the same cities in the same day virtually. Yeah. You know, that is a big thing because I know in the past to do a national publicity campaign would mean a lot of travel, but not so much these days. Yeah. And sometimes that's sad. We like the interaction of being in person and all that too, but yeah. Every single tip that we've gone over, talked about, these things are applicable everywhere. Every aspect of your life, no matter if you're trying to get a loan from a bank or if you're trying to convince a child to do something or if you're promoting a book, all of these things matter because really it's about communication and confidence. And by the way, that's the one thing I haven't covered. What it really comes down to is boosting someone's confidence. When you're confident, you're not as nervous, you sound authoritative. And I can help anybody sound more confident. You can sound more confident by increasing your volume a tiny little bit. And again, that's something someone will say, oh, that sounds so loud. That, and I say, well, let's record it, play it back. What do you think? And always, always, <laughs> yes. they just don't have a good perception of how they're coming across. So confidence is what we sell here. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I love it. If I still had little kids, I'd be trying to write a script like discover Yes. <laughs> the joys of cleaning your room. You are going to love knowing where all your toys are. Yeah. And I guarantee, I guarantee. See? <laughs> you know what you did, Robin? You also just used another persuasive word, and I didn't cover it, which is the most persuasive word in the English language, is you. It goes back <sighs> to what you and I talked about. People care about themselves. So I have had some authors who will just say, well, I like this and here's what I did and here's the way I came up with that. But that's not as effective as saying what you're going to find, what you're going to discover, what you will learn from this or how this is going to affect you in the mornings. That's what people care about. Not you, me, like, which is you, you know? So yeah, instead. Totally true. I hope some of this is is helpful. And, you know, I I love what I do. I guess my confidence in it is so strong because I've done it now for a decade. I started this business a decade ago. I still work in all of these different environments. I still am the person on television. I still am the person who's interviewed. So I keep learning, refining, finding shortcuts and tips. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more gratifying to me than seeing one of my clients on the Today Show seeing a client on Ellen and knowing where they started and watching them ace that, I always get vested and feel like 
that's me. I'm there with them. And I hear the words. Sometimes I hear the strategy or the approach. And I just feel like I'm just, I have chills right now thinking about it. Yes, right. (laughs) I love it. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all these wonderful golden nuggets. You've just been so generous and it's such fun to get to hang out with you again. And thank you again for being on The Office Corner. I'm so thrilled. And Robin, I'm now saying, why did we wait all this time to connect on Zoom? It's just so great to see you. Thanks for having me. And let me know if I can ever be of help. Will do. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.